Welcome to the Frontline Response to Health and Homelessness podcast series. This series is based upon the articles published in the March 2020 edition of Parity Magazine. It gives voice to those with lived experience of homelessness, those working on the front line, and those that support the sector in delivering services to people who are homeless. My name is Dan Fleming, and I'm delighted to introduce our host, John Willis, who leads the inclusive health team for St Vincent's Health Australia. John will introduce our guest in just a moment. As we're recording during the COVID-19 pandemic, John and our guest will be with us by phone for this episode. John Willis, over to you. Thanks, Dan. And Stephanie McFarlane is on the line, and she is the Homeless Health Program Manager at Priority Population, Population and Community Health, Southeast and Sydney Local Health District. Wow, that's a mouthful. Welcome, Stephanie. How are you going? I'm well, thank you, John. And it is a mouthful. It's hard to say at meetings. I need to abbreviate it. <laughs> it's a classic New South Wales health uh, job title. <laughs> sure is. Anyway, Stephanie, thanks for agreeing to be part of this podcast series, and we really appreciate your time. And as as we discussed offline just before, things are not business as usual, and you're very busy. But your role is to lead the response in your local health district to the health needs of homeless population, and this includes working in partnership with others, like St Vincent's, which is wonderful. But also, your LHD, as I noticed in your article, has approximately 20% of um, people experience homelessness across New South Wales. So you've got an important role and quite a large one, I imagine. Yeah. But, however, for this discussion today, we're going to try and focus in on the article that you put into Parity Magazine, which focuses on your work around a homeless health training program. So let's let's kick this conversation off. How did you know that there was a need in your local health district or in your area for a, a training program around homelessness? Yeah, so I think, I mean, it started with um, the fielding of a lot of questions, I suppose, from clinicians around how better to respond to the uh, patients that were presenting to their services um, that were experiencing homelessness and how they could better help them and help them in sort of more meaningful ways. So we did a bit of a, a look around to see what was um, what, what was already there in terms of training um, and, and what would be useful for the clinicians. We did a survey with them to, to find out a little bit more about what they needed or what they felt they needed um, and found that although there had been some short videos that were produced by the Health Education and Training Institute, um, there was a lack of practical sort of face-to-face training where they could really get into the nitty-gritty and meatiness of uh, what um, is required uh, when supporting patients experiencing homelessness in a health setting. So they they, they clearly felt that they, they were missing some skills or some knowledge. They, they were looking for something extra. Absolutely, both really. I mean, a lot of it, I think, for health services comes down to when they're discharge planning, what those referral pathways are and who they can connect mm. with outside the health service to make sure that the people that they're seeing uh, can receive ongoing support once they leave either the inpatient unit or the emergency department or the community service that they're engaging with. Yeah, cool. So obviously in the development of this training, you talk about the need to involve people with lived experience, and this has been a a growing area in the area of homelessness, but I was interested from your perspective, why did you think it was necessary to have that experience and how do you feel it might have enhanced your training? 
Yeah, absolutely. So I think, like, as you say, it's a growing area in homelessness health around incorporating this experience and many sort of other sort of uh, vulnerable population health areas like mental health and drug and alcohol have been doing it for quite some time and it's sort of emerging uh, now in this space. So what, one of the reasons was to be part of that emergence of that um, acknowledgement of the importance of lived experience. But I think the other part of it was uh, drawing a new experience for the clinicians who are attending training to see um, a different part of homelessness, I suppose, or homelessness in a different space to what they're seeing um, in an emergency department or a clinical setting where they only see sort of a short space time period in a person's mm. life. Uh, and, and what we wanted to bring to the training was was the journey um, that brings someone to homelessness, but also how that lived experience and, and, and the appreciation of that journey can be a strength. And so I suppose it comes into sort of a recovery-oriented and strength-based model as well. Yeah, so it's not only the journey into homelessness, but it's the journey out as well. Absolutely. Um, so, um, one of the crucial questions here, and we've uh, we've had the opportunity and quite a privilege to chat to some peer workers on this podcast series already um, that'll be um, posted soon. But what, how do you make sure that you look after those that with lived experience involved in the training? Because we do know about trauma um, and the experience of trauma of people who've been homeless. And so, how do you support the people who are involved in your training program? Yeah, look, that was really critical for me as well to, to really consider. I'm a clinician, I'm a social worker by background, so I'm really conscious um, of the impact of trauma in telling and retelling um, a person's story. So when we were looking to um, source, I suppose, a lived experience co-facilitator for the program, uh, we partnered with um, one of our local agencies, St. John's, um, St. John's Anglican Church or the uh, Rough Edges, um, who uh, have quite a strong sort of peer representation and they do um, amazing urban exposure walks and, and partner with the community around uh, bringing lived experience uh, to a variety of sort of initiatives that they do. So when we when we spoke with them about um, tapping into their, to their lived experience workers to support us with the training, uh, part of it was about ensuring that they could still, uh, the lived experience co-facilitators could still seek support um, mm. from uh, that, from Rough Edges, but also that we had things in place uh, within our own sort of um, training parameters to support them. So one of the things that I always do is I have a bit of a check-in with the lived, uh, with, with the co-facilitator um, by phone in the day or two beforehand, just to make sure that things are still going okay that life hasn't gotten the way um, as it does sometimes of being able to be part of it. Um, and then I check in in the morning as well, um, just before the training starts to see how things are going, uh, to see if there is anything in particular that is troubling them at the moment or that they're concerned about talking about um, so mm. that I can, uh, I suppose, facilitate or, or manage some of the tricky conversations that we do often have um, in in the training Um and so that if I'm recognising uh, signals of distress or uh, sometimes we have a little signal that we share, um, right. I, I yep. can jump in and just sort of say, well, you know, we can, how about we have a chat about this offline or we can, you know, I'll come in and talk about different things and, and sort of change the direction of the conversation to ensure that we're keeping um, our co-facilitators safe. I also acknowledge that in the space when we're having the co-facilitator there, that it's really important that clinicians are sensitive um, to the lived experience and by and large, they are. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's fantastic. It's having that that signal as well, just a pause or 
divert the conversation. I think it's a great way to keep your co-facilitator in a safe space, which is what we're trying to do with our patients as well and our clients. Absolutely. Um, you've talked then something about an urban walk. I, I, I'll have to come back to that. That was very interesting, that agency that you've partnered with has that urban experience walk. Um, that sounds fascinating. But maybe oh, we'll talk about that. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> We'll talk about that some other time. Um, so let's let's talk about. So you've obviously been operating this program for a while. Um, you've evaluated it. What have you learned? Any surprises? Any anything that's surprised you through your evaluation? Um, look, what's surprising mostly is that uh, people always ask for more. So um, you know, uh. we, we set the training, uh, the workshop as a half day. Um, because we wanted it to be accessible. Um, and by and large, most of the feedback we get back is, you know, can we have this longer? It would be great if we could talk more about, you know, this part of the referral pathway or if we could have more of our lived experience co-facilitator. Um, so I think the fact that people want more and they've been really engaged um, has been fantastic. Um, what I also mm-hmm. find um, interesting and, and what's also great about it is that usually um, – you get a couple of people from different clinical services that come to the workshop that then ask for me to come to their unit or their ward or whatever um, and do one of the shorter in-services as well just to provide sort of the snapshot training. Um, but but I think the best part and the thing that I, that I love the most um, is the comments we get about um, the, the threading of the lived experience throughout the workshop. It's clearly um, the most valuable part um, and the most insightful part for, for most of our participants. So, I mean, I don't think that's unexpected, but it has been really valuable to, to um, see um, the impact that has on the people who attend the workshops. Brilliant. So this is reinforcing this inclusion of lived experience and, and peer workers within within the homeless space, um, but it, it's actually a, clearly in a training environment as well. Um, it's it's been quite. It seems like it's been quite effective. Absolutely. Right. So um, I had a. Um, I did want to check, just check in about the particularly from an acute health perspective. How's how you talked about going towards and doing sort of a spot or a quick sort of um, refresher or whatever it was. How have you gone engaging with clinicians in the in the acute health environment? Generally, are very time poor. Yes, I mean it's sort of. Um, it's a bit variable, really. So I, I do a bit of an in-service series with one of our hospital emergency departments, um, and I usually do that sort of over. The, I do a repeat sort of sessions over a couple of weeks, um, and sometimes it's a slow day, and it works really well because I'm literally in the middle of the emergency department. We sort of have a bit of a um, sort of siphoned off sort of area, and I and I stand and I chat to them for for forty minutes or thirty minutes or twenty minutes or sometimes ten, depending on what's going on. So <laughs> yeah. uh, it's a lesson for I suppose being adaptable and really trying to focus on what the key messages are and what are the needs of this particular setting. So I suppose one of the strengths of the training is that it's adaptable. So depending on where I'm going, um, who I'm going to, and who's asked me to do the training, sort of. Uh, consider what the key messages and key needs are and try and sort of get it out really quickly so that people get a lot out of it, um, but that it isn't impacting negatively on the environment or on their, mm. their ability to, to do their their work. Um, but it is quite interesting to, to hold it in service in the middle of an emergency department, sort of as the beginning of this uh, pandemic was beginning and, you know, something would happen and we'd all, you know, have to leave um, so, yeah, it's a lesson for adaptability. 
And your peer worker gets engaged with that sort of stand-up kind of training in the middle of ED as well? No. So at the moment, um, the peer worker is uh, specifically in the workshops because we've got a longer uh-huh. period of time. Um, yep. The, the uh, one-hour sessions tend to be a little bit different and a little bit dependent on the health setting scenario. So we haven't quite okay. brought in the, the lived experience there. I think if we had um, a lived experience worker as part of the health service, the LHD, uh, we yeah. might be able to manage that. But because it's sort of a, a an external contract, for lack of a better sort of term, it's sure. a little bit harder. Yeah. St. Well, Vincent's Public Hospital in Sydney and Darlinghurst there does have a some lived experience staff within the homeless health team, so it might work might work better there, maybe. Yeah, yeah. So let's move on to COVID nineteen. You just referred to it there. It's, it's obviously creating a lot of change and a lot of um, and there's been a lot of planning and the curve looks like it's flattening, which is wonderful. But what are you working on at the moment? What's what? How do you see things travelling at the moment? And we've got you know five <laughs> minutes. <laughs> well, what do I say about that? Look, I think. So part of my role has been to support um, our health services with uh, changes in the homelessness sector um, around COVID-19. So there's been a lot of changes to uh, temporary accommodation, um, a lot of uh, extensions for people who are in temporary accommodation and changes to how people access homelessness services. So part of my role is supporting the LHD with that. But I suppose the other side, um, what is what I've been doing a lot of is supporting uh, the homelessness sector around the health needs, particularly sort of from a public health approach um, and, yeah. a, a, you know, information around COVID-19 and PPE. So I started writing a weekly bulletin that gets circulated to the specialist homelessness services um, that's just sort of uh, snapshots of information that have come up in the week that have uh, been relevant to the specialist homelessness service sector. So we've done a myth-busting this week on um, how you might use the Guardianship Act in, ah. in this sense. Um, and then we've done one on PPE and an, like a questionnaire, I suppose, about PPE. Um, and I think next week I'm going to do a session on naloxone. So it's just about bits of information that are important to the sector. And so I, I found um, it's been a part of most of my role has been a conduit of information from mm. one side to the other. And it is, in some ways, this is this nexus between health and homelessness. The COVID nineteen pandemic's really highlighted how important that must that it has to be. Um, we've always talked about health being engaged in homeless services in a more concrete way to deal with those um, physical and mental health and other issues. But um, and right now, in a public health emergency like this, is it's even more important the closeness between health and the homeless sectors. Oh, absolutely, and I think the homelessness sector has felt um, quite. Uh, distressed or stressed about sort of the 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 risks to their clients, the risk to the staff, and you know they're similar settings to a residential aged care facility, but they don't quite get the same uh, health support. You would say mm. so. Um, a lot of it has been trying to support them through their journey and in managing um, how to set up their service so that it's um, mitigating risks to everybody, um, but still providing the right level of support as 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 all their clients and their staff needs. So it's been a real exercise, I think, in, in building relationships and building capacity. I think that's been um, really evident as being important as well as building the capacity. Yeah, sure. Now, and you also um, are part of that intersectorial partnership 
around sure within your outlets. Do you want to tell us a little bit, is homeless services engaged with that as well as health? Yeah, so so the intersectoral homelessness health strategy was a really, really big piece of work that kind of evolved out of um, the issues that were occurring in Martin Place a couple of years ago where there was large encampments but not a coordinated response. Um, yeah. And we don't have a homelessness health uh, strategy that's statewide. Um, so in the absence of having that to sort of guide coordinated approaches, um, the South Eastern Sydney Local Health District um, in partnership with the Sydney Local Health District Health Network, the City of Sydney Council, the Department of Communities and Justice and the Central Eastern Sydney Primary Health Network um, came together to devise our own strategy that would um, inform a coordinated response to homelessness health. Um, so it's, it's a, a fabulous document and a fabulous sort of foundation for coordinated service delivery. We launched it or planned to launch it just as the um, pandemic started mm. <laughs> to, to evolve. <laughs> so it's actually been a real exercise um, in sort of rapid um, action as to, to how we use the strategy to mobilise a coordinated response. Mm. Um, and, and you're meeting regularly already, aren't you? Yes, we meet weekly. Um, yeah. And that's that's been really helpful um, in ensuring really good communication in this space because I think without that good communication, uh, people, services um, fall through the gaps and, and it just creates greater risk for, for many people involved. So um, the increased level of communication has been critical to good service delivery, I think. Crucial for the patients who are receiving care so they don't get uh, lost within a complex system. Sounds good? Absolutely. Final question, Stephanie. Um, I'm asking each person I'm interviewing about a story or encounter that inspires you and helps to keep you striving to work in this area and make a difference. You got a story for us? Um, I think think what makes a difference or or what's... I've found has been so um, important and amazing to watch has been the evolution of some of our uh, some of our health services in really um, developing their own initiatives to improve the way that they work with people experiencing homelessness. So a lot of my role is about capacity building, and it can be a real challenge in a health service to get uh, in a health service that has multiple priorities to, to get. Um, clinicians to see the value of really engaging deeply with people experiencing homelessness. So what I found amazing and what I'd love to watch is uh, particular parts of the LHD grow um, and and develop their own pathways, their own responses and their own relationships with uh, support services to ensure that the people that they're working with uh, are able to be supported when they leave the hospital and then are able to be supported if they come back into the hospital. Um, And I think it's a real testament to the way in which um, our health services can adapt when they need to um, and can deliver high-quality care to to vulnerable people um, at at times when there are a lot of other sort of competing priorities. So I know that, I mean, it's not a specific story, um, but I suppose it is an illustration of, um, you know, complex systems working together to ensure people get good health care. And that's a wonderful thing to be inspired by, improving complex systems. And it sounds like you're doing a great job, Stephanie. Oh, Fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> well done. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you so much for being part of our podcast series. No worries. Thank you very much for your time.
To subscribe to a printed copy of Parody Magazine, visit chp.org.au forward slash parity. This podcast series has been developed by St Vincent's Health Australia. For more information about St Vincent's, visit www.svha.org.au. The music track for this podcast is called Slow Burn by Kevin MacLeod, host of incompetech.filmmusic.io and is licensed under the Creative Commons 4.0 by Attributions Licence. This information, information about our guests and more can be found in the text under the podcast description. Thanks for listening.